I, I was happy for them. Uh, so many friends, so many lifelong friends, so many teammates, coaches that I was with for so long that I know we're, we're striving for that for so long that we're able to accomplish it, and um, they earned it. They, they deserved it. They worked hard and earned it, so was so happy for them. And, and then for me personally, um, just continue to get better. has has nothing to do with um, what they've done. I need to get better myself and um, bring Excited for, for Tyler and his you know, next opportunity. That That's really what I'm trying to do. Um, it's taken me a lot of years to, to be uh, more dad than coach, um, and, and I'm trying to uh, do a much better job at that, and I feel like I have. So uh, I'm excited for him to see where his next opportunity will be um, and try to support him any way I can. So I, 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 John and I haven't even said it, but I think that there's 31 teams that are evaluating Tyler. I don't, I don't think that's good for anybody. Hey, does it matter to you that your starting quarterback's not there working out with you guys? No. Why not? Because uh, all I need him to be there for is the first game of the season and play good. Well, it sounds like Kyler Murray will be with the Arizona Cardinals at the start of the season. We'll break that down coming up. Before that, I say happy Thursday afternoon to everyone out there who is either watching on Peacock, listening on Sirius XM 85, or checking out the podcast, the various video clips, wherever, wherever. However, whenever you consume the content, we appreciate you, and I appreciate Shereen Williams for joining me on Thursday afternoon, as she typically does, unless there's some sort of a malfunction, and I'm surprised by the presence of Miles Simmons on the screen. Hi, Shereen. (laughs) Hi, Mike, and we are officially one week from draft day. It's hard to believe it's already here. I'm not that fired up about it, as we talked about, just because it doesn't look real sexy to me. But I know the teams are, Mike. They can get better, and they can get better in a big way in this draft, and it's upon us. We're working on the countdown clock. I'm told the countdown clock will arrive next Thursday night right around 8 p.m. Eastern time. Blinken, you possibly will miss it. But we are, we are a week away from the draft in Las Vegas, and that is the irony here. It's Las Vegas. It's glitz. It's glamour. The draft doesn't really have a lot of that baked in <laughs> because we're expecting – a lot of offensive linemen, defensive linemen, not quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, tight ends to be taken among the very first players who are selected. Quarterbacks always drive that bus, and there just aren't many that are considered to be in the upper echelon. Kyler Murray was three years ago, first overall pick of the Arizona Cardinals, just one year after they traded up to number 10 to get Josh Rosen. They loved Kyler Murray so much, they kicked Josh Rosen to the curb and moved on to Murray, and now... It looks like they're not going to move on from Murray. Today, Steve Kime, the general manager of the team, said the words that need to be said if we want to even begin to believe that a guy isn't going to be traded. You can't say zero intention or no intention or any formulation that includes the word intention. What you have to say is what Kime said today. There is zero chance that Murray gets traded. We are not trading him, period. No way, no how, not happening. That's how you get people to begin to believe it. And even then, circumstances can change. But that doesn't deliberately leave the door cracked open. When intention is part of the formulation of the message from the team, the door necessarily is open. Right now, for Murray to be traded by the Cardinals, the door is slammed shut, Shireen. It is slammed shut, accordingly, by Steve Kime. But then the question becomes, Mike, when is Kyler Murray going to show up? Is he going to show up for the mandatory minicamp if he doesn't have a new deal? Is he going to show up for training camp if he doesn't have a new deal? Is he going to show up for week one if he doesn't have a new deal? We know that, that his side, Eric Burkhart, his agent, has pulled his original offer. And we know that the Cardinals have not countered with anything yet. So that's part of the problem now. So how quickly they can get this contract resolved is going to determine probably when Kyler Murray shows up, Mike. But I do expect Kyler Murray to play for the Cardinals this season. The question becomes, when is he going to get that new deal? And it's far too late for Kyler Murray or Eric Burkhardt or anyone to say this has nothing to do with Kyler Murray's desire to get the contract he has earned. It's too late for that. When Eric Burkhart posted that small font, single-spaced manifesto several weeks ago, it was clear that there is a concern regarding the contract offer that hasn't been made 
by the Cardinals, the proposal that had been made by Burkhart and then had since been rescinded. And now all of a sudden, and it quite possibly, because it was a week ago the last time this bubbled up with two weeks to go until the draft. Now here we are a week ago, uh, a week to go until the draft. And I think that Murray and Burkhart have realized a trade's not happening. It's just not happening. So now they need to bide their time and wait and see what kind of offer the Cardinals will make when it's time to negotiate. And the Cardinals intend to take care of him this summer. So Murray has had some sort of epiphany or he's understood there's nothing else he can do. He's not willing to go play baseball. He's not willing to turn his back on the Cardinals. So now we're getting a little bit of this, hey, guys, what's the big deal? What's everybody looking at? Yeah, everything's fine. And that's fine. However someone needs to back away from the brink, I don't mind. I'm happy to see him back away from the brink, although I would have liked to have had the chaos that would have come from a potential trade. We don't need to say, oh, oh, Kyler, come on now. You were trying to lay the foundation for something. It doesn't matter. He's, he's decided, apparently, that he wants to stay with the Cardinals. He's willing to wait for them to make the offer. He's backing off from this sense of, of acrimony that was out there. And there's the tweet. I want to win Super Bowls well, with the Cardinals. Arizona is home. That's the bottom line. And that's the response to the comment from Patrick Peterson, former teammate, who said that he doesn't feel like they're putting the team in a position to be successful and Kyler Murray's not going to sit around and wait. He's made it clear now he wants to win Super Bowls, that that's his motivation. And that's fine, but it's also his motivation, Shereen, to get paid. Well, it is, Mike. And here's the other thing. It just doesn't seem like there's big been a big land rush to trade for Kyler Murray. I mean, usually we hear when there's disgruntled players, we hear, oh, well, in the Debo Samuel instance, the Jets would be interested. We haven't heard a single team that has made a call to the Cardinals. And you would think that teams in need of a quarterback would make that call if they were interested knowing what they've heard this offseason about Kyler Murray wanting a new deal. We've heard none of that. And I guarantee you, if anyone had made a call, we would hear about it. We would hear at least teams have called. We might not know specific teams, but I promise you we would have heard that. And we've heard nothing. It's been crickets. So I don't know that the Cardinals even got any calls about Kyler Murray. And maybe they thought he's not being traded. But it is interesting to me that we've heard none of that talk of teams making the calls to the Cardinals for a trade, for Kyler Murray. And maybe it's that memory, that lingering memory of that final game against the Rams when he was flat-out terrible, worst passer rating of his career. He was not good, three interceptions. And and he didn't finish the season off well, Mike, because of, of the injury that he had, just like he did the year before. So maybe there's some of that, too, that teams are thinking. We don't know still how good this guy is, even though he's been to back-to-back Pro Bowls. And, Shereen, it's not just an issue of Eric Burkhart sending a message loud and clear and then waiting to see if there's any jostling, if there's any discussion, if there's any sense of interest. He can also, even though it's tampering for the teams to take these calls, this happens all the time, you can start talking to general managers. You represent players throughout the league. There are occasions to talk to people. At the end of the conversation, you can try to poke around to see if that team would have any interest in Kyler Murray. And, it's quite possible that Eric Burkhart found out there really isn't any interest out there. And sometimes what happens is the agent has to do it on behalf of a client who needs that that cold splash of water in the face. That maybe the client thinks more of his ability, thinks more of his market, thinks more of his desirability than he should. And the agent at that point has no choice but to go out and find that piece of humble pie that gets force-fed to the client. That could be part of this, too, that Kyler had something that bordered on the delusional as to what he thought the market would be if there was any possibility he could be traded. So they put it out there, they poke around, and, you know, Sims said when this all first came up weeks ago, there's going to be teams that just will not consider Kyler Murray. This isn't like Aaron Rodgers. Wait a minute. Stop the presses. Let's consider what we have at quarterback and whether or not we could get Aaron Rodgers. There will be teams that say, Kyler Murray, 5'10", no way, not a chance, not interested. And that necessarily limits the market, limits the interest, and puts him in a position where he's now backing off from the brink. And that feels like that's what's happening. They're not trading him. 
No one is trying to bang down the Cardinals' door to trade for him, and Kyler Murray realizes he's got to love the one he's with. Yeah, and Mike, now we go back to what does Kyler Murray think he's worth and what do the Cardinals think he wor- he's worth? And as you pointed out, that may be a huge gap, and it may be a huge gap that they can't overcome. That will be interesting to see where that ends up and how much Kyler Murray ends up getting. He is going to get a contract. He's going to, if, if it, the Cardinals can't work it out eventually, they will trade him. They will find somebody to take him on and, and to pay him. But the question becomes, how much are you going to pay Kyler Murray? And, and now they've got to figure that out, Mike. That's not going yeah, to be easy. And, well, and it's not because this gets back to the original point, and this is why I think things got off the rails in the first place. I firmly believe you're going to have Kyler Murray in the range of 45 to 50 million a year as to what he's looking for, if not more, because the market is always changing. The salary cap is always going up. You have to think about where it's going to be, not where it currently is. And I can see the Cardinals in the range of 30 to 35. So how do you get the two circles on the Venn diagram to meet and work out a long-term deal that everyone is happy with? That is the key. And the longer the Cardinals wait, the more expensive it's going to get. That's part of it as well. So we'll see if they can work something out. You know, here's the bottom line. At the end of the day, wherever the Cardinals land on that that range you see there from 1 to 10, wherever their bottom line number is, if Kyler Murray just doesn't want to go through the stress and strain of a fight, holding out, trying to get traded, getting the fans mad at him, and they shouldn't be, but you know how it works. They do get mad at the player, and they line up behind the laundry. He may take the best offer the Cardinals make, even if Eric Burkhart is saying to him, don't do it. At the end of the day, it's the client's decision. And if he wants to take the best offer that's on the table, if the money's good enough, even if it's not great enough, if it's good enough, he'll take it. Which his good friend Baker Mayfield should have done last year. And Baker and Kyler are good friends. So you know they're talking. And you know Baker's giving him advice. Don't wait. Get the money while you can. So we'll see how quickly Kyler comes to terms with the Cardinals, Mike. If he shows up, how this is going to play out. But there's still a lot to this story. This doesn't completely end things. I do think he plays for the Cardinals this season. But there's still a lot of questions in here that we have yet to be answered. Fortunately for the Cardinals, it's a few months yet until that first game. And as J.J. Watt said, they don't need Kyler Murray until that first game. It doesn't end the story. It just pushes it to the back burner. And the other reality, I know I'm repeating myself. If you watch the show enough, PFT Live or this show, that you've heard me say it before, thank you very much for paying attention. But it bears repeating. Not every bet that you make on yourself is a winner. We love to heap praise on people who bet on themselves when they win. When they bet on themselves and lose, we don't talk about it. Because that's not a good story. Because you know what? If we talk about it too much, other people may not bet on themselves. We like it when people bet on themselves. Hey, he's betting on himself. Ooh, what a story. He's betting on himself. Hey, hey, Joe Flacco, he bet on himself. It goes back to him and even before that. Well, the truth is... Baker Mayfield bet on himself last year and lost. lost. That's why he's out in Cleveland. That's why he's rebuilding his career. He could have had $30 million a year if he wasn't, in his mind, valuing himself a lot higher than that, and rightfully so. That's the problem. He was right to push those chips into the middle of the table last year, but it didn't work out. So let's keep the same energy when a guy bets on himself and loses, not to rub his face in it, but to just make sure people understand. When you bet on yourself, it's not a no-risk proposition. If you got nothing to lose, you're not making a bet. It's just a contest that you're entering. You only bet when you stand to lose. Baker Mayfield stood to lose, and he did. And now Kyler Murray, and we don't know what the contents of those communications are, but it very well could be, hey, Kyler, you better be careful. Get what you can. Get what you can while you can, and maybe once the final number is on the table from the Cardinals and he calls up his good friend Baker Mayfield and says, here's what they offered, what should I do? Baker would say, boy, if I could go back a year and take that, I would take that. That may be, that may be the best thing the Cardinals have going for them by the time it's all said and done. 
Yeah, and you look at a guy like Lamar, Lamar Jackson, Mike, it's the same thing. He's pushing those chips in the middle of the table and betting on himself. It may work out great like it did for Dak Prescott a couple years ago. It may not work out like it did for Baker Mayfield, but that's part of it. And they, these players do believe in themselves, and they believe they're going to prove that they're worth the money, that they're worth more money than the team right now is willing to pay. So that's where Lamar is. May or may not be where Kyler Murray is. We'll find out. I don't know that Lamar is betting on himself. I don't know what Lamar is doing. I think Lamar is standing <laughs> there in the casino looking at the table, wondering when he's going to go have a seat. Meanwhile, chips are falling out of his pocket unbeknownst to him. I think that is what Lamar Jackson's current <laughs> status is. All right, Debo Samuel is a guy who made it clear yesterday that he wants to be traded by the 49ers and there are all sorts of theories ricocheting around the NFL whether it is he wants more money than the 49ers have offered he doesn't like his role or he just doesn't want to live in California or some combination of the three there was a tweet from Debo Samuel last night that was deleted within an hour later that only he and his agent Tory Dandy and the 49ers know the real reason so now that we know that Debo Samuel is potentially in play and there was a report yesterday from Connor Hughes of the Athletic that the 49ers have zero intention to trade Debo Samuel which means that the door is open there's a you have to change their intention here's Joe Douglas the general manager of the Jets on the possibility of making a deal for Debo Samuel Probably the, the one that's on everybody's mind is kind of what happened yesterday with the news coming kind of breaking that Debo has asked for a trade. Um, have you guys made a call for San Francisco? Is that a market that you're involved in? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to do that one with the by Felicia uh, reference, um, but uh, really, really no specifics. Uh, can't get into specifics uh, when it comes to a player that's not not on our roster. Um, you know, I just say that uh, since since coming here, I've made it known my job is to get the team better, and uh, we're going to do that via any avenue we can. Obviously, a few weeks ago, you made that run at Tyreek Hill. Um, would it be fair to say that the veteran receiver market is still something? Yeah, if so, again, if the opportunity, I know we talked to, about it down in Florida, uh, and Mitch you down there, by the way, but um, uh, if the right opportunity presents itself, um, you know, we're, we're, we are going to be aggressive. Hey, look, if we're going to go pop culture references at these pre-draft press conferences, let's skip pack, past by Felicia. Joe Douglas just needs to rip the sleeves off of that shirt and start saying, get her done, because uh. I mean, that's Larry the Cable guy. I don't know whatever happened to that guy. Maybe he is yeah. the general manager of the Jets now with a shirt that has sleeves all the way down. <laughs> I think he keeps it buttoned to the wrist like he did, so there's no temptation to just grab that sleeve and rip it off entirely and go full Cable guy. But, uh, you know, they can't say anything. There it is. There it is. I'm serious. That's Larry the Cable guy's shirt with the sleeves stitched onto it, it and he's got a hat on with to make hat. himself a little – make it a little less obvious with the hat on. But – uh, they can't say anything about Debo Sam. He was under contract with another team. But I, you can say you're not interested. That's one of the realities of the tampering rules. And and I tried to have a conversation, I think, with Jerry Jones at one point about this. I was asking him about someone years ago. And, and I was saying, you know, tampering rules say you can't say you're interested, but you can say you're not. Are you willing to just tell me you're not? And he wouldn't go there. But But I think you technically can say we have no interest. Uh, but it's a safer practice just to not comment on anyone who's not under contract with your team. But it sure sounds like there's potentially something there. And we know they tried to get Tyree Kill. As I said yesterday, the wallet is open to go out and spend the draft capital and the money to get a receiver. Why would they not be thinking about Debo Samuel? Well, my question is, would Debo, Debo Samuel be thinking about the Jets? Because Tyree Kill... I mean, the Jets were interested in Tyree Kill, but he completely dismissed that proposition. Like, he was not going to the Jets. He wanted to go to Miami. And my question would be, why would any good receiver want to go to the Jets? Do you know what Zach Wilson is? And I know what you're going to say. Do we know what two is? No, we really don't. But, hey, you're living in Miami. I get it. But with the Jets, Mike, you don't know what Zach Wilson is. You don't know what he's going to become. And if you're a receiver, does that appeal to you? I'm not sure it does. Of all those teams that are among the betting favorites, I mean, I would rather go to the Packers, the Saints, or the Eagles, probably the Packers for sure, because you'd be the number one receiver and you'd be playing with Aaron Rodgers. So if he gets a choice, I realize he doesn't have a no-trade clause, but 
players have power now, and they can determine where they want to go. So if it's true that he doesn't want to play in California, he's going to have a say if the 49ers truly are interested in trading him and where he ends up because he can just say, hey, I'm not going to go there. Yeah, and look, the – the 49ers, I don't think, under any set of circumstances, will be trading Debo Samuel to the Packers. I'm stunned that they're so high on the list because you're going to have to convince the 49ers to do it, and you have to convince the Packers to do something out of character. And, and again, oh, we were going to pay De- uh, Devontae Adams more than the Raiders offered. Baloney. That was when they had a gun to their head yeah, right. with the Raiders offer. They, they could have paid him that money back in November, December. I've said that before. I, I'm intrigued by the Panthers. I mean, if he wants to go home, and home is South Carolina, yeah. I, we, we were trying to come up with a trade proposal earlier today that would consist of Debo Samuel plus Jimmy Garoppolo for Sam Darnold plus, and we were kicking around DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson. Somebody suggested today, a, a, a reader slash viewer emailed Christian McCaffrey plus Sam Darnold for Debo Samuel and Jimmy Garoppolo. I still think the Panthers would have to throw some picks onto the pile to get it done. But if Debo wants to go home, and and look, at a time when David Tepper's got all those people in North and South Carolina pissed off at him about the Rock Hill project that he walked away from, bringing Debo Samuel back to Charlotte, that would be something if that's something that they're interested in. And Scott Fitterer came from Seattle. He knows a thing or two about what Debo Samuel can do, although Samuel wasn't a superstar when Fitterer was there. I, I think that would be awesome if they could pull it off. But But again, if this is about geographic location, then the closer you get to wherever he wants to live, and I just assume it's South Carolina, then then uh, the better chance you have of getting it done. And, and we'll see. And, you know, Shereen, I don't expect to hear much of anything about this over the course of the next week because of something I said earlier today. If yeah. the 49ers are going to emerge from this with a first-round pick, whether it's the Jets' number four, the Jets' number 10, somebody else's first-round pick, whatever the case may be, you don't want that pick until that pick's on the clock. You don't want to give the rest of the teams a week, five days, two days, even one day, even one hour to sit there and wonder who you're going to take and what it may take to leapfrog you and get the guy that you want to take. So get that pick when it's on the clock. And uh, so that's why I think nothing happens until next Thursday night. But once we start getting teams on the clock there's always a chance the commissioner is going to walk out to the podium get booed and then announce that there's been a trade by the team on the clock with the 49ers and we find out Debo Samuel is now a member of the team that had that pick that the 49ers end up exercising and Mike we did this exercise I don't know a few months ago about how many players truly are untradeable in the NFL and there's not very many and he's one guy you can say I have no intention of trading and you get a deal that you just can't walk away from then you're going to trade him so every player including Kyler Murray if somebody steps up on draft day and offers some three first rounders I would almost guarantee you Arizona is going to trade Kyler Murray for three first round draft picks if that's what somebody's willing to offer I don't expect that to happen but I guarantee you they would pull the trigger on that deal and another thing, Mike, it's really interesting to me that these players use their social media accounts to do these cryptic tweets or cryptic posts on Instagram or whatever it is. And, for instance, Debo Samuel, like the one he deleted. Well, tell us the real story. Tell us that you've asked for a trade. Tell us why. Because all we're left with are questions of why do you want to leave? Is it because you don't like California? Is it because you want more money, which I'm sure he does on top of everything else, but maybe he doesn't like the way he's used. Maybe he doesn't like the quarterback he's playing with and wants an upgrade. So put it out there. I mean, if you have a format now where you can go on and say why, so go on and say why you want to be traded if you truly want to be traded. If you don't want to be traded, say that too. There's the tweet yesterday that Debo Samuel posted at 5.19 p.m. It was gone by 10, 15 after 6 or thereabouts. And uh, this was also deleted. Hilarious. Man said, because I want to be close to home. That was from his Instagram story, they're telling me. But again, but again, Schefter, uh, uh, Sims heard the same thing, that, that it's a, an issue of not wanting to live in California. But, but who knows at this point? And the fact that Debo is tweeting and deleting or making comments on Instagram and wiping them out, I have a feeling he's being advised, just don't rock the boat at this point. 
If you want to have any chance to get traded, don't make the 49ers look bad. Don't throw rocks. Don't agitate. We have to be very delicate. We have to be very deliberate. We have to be very strategic. And the more we say, maybe the greater chance the 49ers say to us, you're not getting traded. So we'll see how it plays out. Obviously, there's a reason for this. And I said yesterday, and I still stand by this, the 49ers have some responsibility for the fact that Debo Samuel doesn't want to be there anymore. They misread something. They did or said something they shouldn't have done or said. They failed to do or say something they should have done or said. They had this happen right under their noses. The Debo Samuel wakes up one day and says, I want to be traded. Because you don't just literally wake up one day and have this idea pop into your head and you act on it. It's the culmination of something that's been building. And... Shame on the 49ers for either causing it or not preventing it or not noticing it because the mere fact that one of your most important players wants out is a failure on the pass-fail standard of getting along with your players. And, Mike, you're giving the job to Trey Lance, and then you're going to trade your best weapon? I just don't see how that's going to work out well for Trey Lance. If you want Trey Lance, who gave up all that draft capital to get last year for the number three overall pick, if you want him to succeed, you need Debo Samuel. So you need somehow, some way to work this out with him, give him his money, whatever he wants, give him the money and, and whatever else he wants, and make sure he's happy because Trey Lance is not going to succeed without Debo Samuel. I don't care who you draft. Debo Samuel is an all-pro for a reason. You know, it'd be funny slash sad, depending upon your perspective, if the 49ers had been so caught up in running this grift with a Jimmy Garoppolo trade, they failed to notice the problem <laughs> they had brewing with Debo Samuel, right? Because they've been so focused on how are we going to get value for a guy who's under contract for one more year at $25 million in compensation. He just had shoulder surgery. We didn't know he was having it. He went off campus to do it on his own. Other teams see that and they say, whoa, what's going on here? They're still being stubborn about trying to get a trade for Garoppolo. Meanwhile, Garoppolo went on a media tour today. I saw a couple of different outlets he spoke to. For some reason, we weren't offered. Jimmy G, I don't know why that I don't know why that would happen. I mean, come on, Jimmy, we're both Italian. Where's the Italian Brotherhood? Of course, he probably has been saying that for the last five years. I don't know. I'm sorry. It's not it's nothing personal. I just call it like I see it. And I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo's been nearly as good as his contract would have justified. Maybe now that the market's changed, but at the time when they were giving him twenty seven and a half million a year, I thought, what the hell are they doing here? And it was verified by his failure to hit Emmanuel Sanders when he was open at the end of Super Bowl fifty four. But I digress. Here's Jimmy Garoppolo talking about Last season, when Trey Lance arrives as the third overall pick and Jimmy Garoppolo becomes the de facto lame duck. Cool. He was down to earth. Uh, didn't really come in entitled or anything like that. Just was a normal guy, and I appreciate him for that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It was, uh, I mean, it was a strange year. It's, <laughs> I don't know if I wish that on anybody, but it, was, uh, it worked out. You know, we're, we're here now. I felt like Kyle was know that i would wish that on anybody that was our friend adam shine at the tail end loading up his next question but that does not speak to the kind of happiness that we would expect jimmy garoppolo to have about a year that almost culminated in a super bowl berth he was the starter he fended off trey lance the whole year and he says it was a strange year and it's not something i would wish on anybody he made 25 million dollars last year and it's something he would not wish on anybody he got a subway commercial and it's not something he would wish on anybody so even though i don't know that he was deliberately trying to do this it kind of blows up any effort by the 49ers to just say yeah we'll keep him around i mean at a certain point it's counterproductive to keep a guy who doesn't want to be there and they get so stubborn the 49ers do about their plans and you know it's not about how much cap space you have it's not about how many draft picks you finagle it's not about how many PR battles that you'll win. It's about winning games and winning championships. And sometimes I just feel like the 49ers' priorities are screwed up just enough. It keeps them from having the best possible team they can. And this game they're playing with Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, is getting in the way of more important things like, you know, keeping Debo Samuel around. 
Well, and if he thought last year was a strange year, stay around this year and see how strange this year is going to be because I guarantee you it will be stranger than last year was. And last year turned out to be a fairly successful year for the 49ers. You probably saved Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch's jobs for a little bit longer than perhaps they would have because they would have either made a move after last season or, Mike, they would have uh, gone into this season under intense pressure. And we're not talking about Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch's jobs because of what they did last year. They exceeded expectations. So now here they are expecting to start Trey Lance, and he, is he going to have Jimmy Garoppolo looking over his shoulder, looking over his shoulder at Jimmy Garoppolo all season long? They just can't have that happen. Uh, because it's going to turn out like Miami did with let's pull Tua and put in Ryan Fitzpatrick to save the day, Mike. You've got to commit to this kid. Number three overall pick. You drafted him there for a reason. It's his turn. By the way, there has been a development in the story that we began the segment with. So let's finish where we started. Michael Bidwell, the owner of the Arizona Cardinals, saying this about the speculation that Kyler Murray could be traded. That's not happening Bidwell said this comes from Kent Summers of the Arizona Republic. There's just too much outside noise that people listen to. We understand that's just part of what goes on these days with social media. It's just not the case. So that's the word from Michael Bidwell. And Bidwell, relevant to another NFL story, his team has been sued by Steve Wilkes, former coach of the Cardinals. And the Cardinals, one of several teams named in the lawsuit that was originally filed by Brian Flores, Wilkes and Ray Horton, now also plaintiffs. There's been a development. We kind of knew this was coming, but we now know it will be happening inevitably in the case that was filed by Flores and others. We'll get you up to speed on what that is, and I will share my unvarnished, unfiltered, and I don't know, maybe not uh, appreciated by the NFL reaction to that when PFTPM continues right after this. There was a document filed today by the parties involved in the Brian Flores case, a case management document that has different statements of intention and planning, etc. It wasn't the actual effort by the NFL, but it speaks to what the NFL plans to do. And as expected, the NFL plans to try to force the entire case brought by Brian Flores and Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton, all claims against all defendants, into what I'm going to call secret arbitration, because that's what it is. And it's secret arbitration that unfolds before the NFL's rigged kangaroo court, and that's what I'm going to call it as well, because people need to wake up to the fact that that is what it is. There are plenty of employers in this country that will force employees to sign arbitration agreements. Now, most of those call for some independent entity like the American Arbitration Association to provide an arbitrator, and there's a process for the two sides to go back and forth and, and settle on the right arbitrator because the case may often hinge on who the arbitrator is. In the cases brought against the NFL, there's no selection to be done. In the cases brought against the NFL or one of its teams, the arbitrator is the commissioner or his designee, which means you are getting a rigged process. You know, we've heard that word get thrown around a lot over the last five years when nothing really was rigged. It's just a nice convenient way of undermining a process by calling it rigged. This is rigged. This is what rigged looks like. And Shereen, for as long as I've been covering the NFL, this is the way the NFL has done it. And we just kind of accept it. Well, that's what they do. Well, that doesn't mean anyone has to accept it. If you are serious about fairness to your employees, if you are serious about your claims that you do everything the right way, why do you want to run and hide? Why do you want to sweep it under the rug? Why do you want the commissioner to be the one to determine what the rights are or aren't? The commissioner is hopelessly conflicted here. If it's a claim against a team, that's one of the entities that hires and compensates and decides whether or not to keep the commissioner employed. I, I'm amazed that it's been allowed to happen, and I'd like to think where we are now as a society and where the NFL is as an entity that understands it has warts that need to be surgically removed, that the first thing to go is the secret rigged kangaroo court into which the NFL has made it clear it wants to move the claims brought by Flores, Wilkes, and Horton. 
Yeah, and Mike, Brian Flores said in an interview last month that arbitration allows discrimination to continue. So they obviously want this. He, he said he wants a jury trial. So that's what they want. That's what they're after. Let me ask you this, Mike. I have a question. So Brian Flores filed this lawsuit, and obviously we know what they're alleging, but what in the end do Brian Flores and Steve Wilkes and these guys in this lawsuit, what do they want out of this? Because I don't think they want money. I think they want change. But how do you do that in front of a jury trial? Is it just to get it all out there that in the public eye of how bad this thing is and then they're certain to be changed? Is that what they're after? That's part of it. And look, 90% of the time or more, the outcome of a civil lawsuit is limited to the payment of money. That's what the civil justice system is. You have wronged me in some way. You have damaged my property. You have damaged my financial interests. You've taken away my employment. You have caused pain and suffering to me that is compensated by financial damages. You've engaged in reprehensible conduct that justifies an award of punitive damages to deter others from behaving this same way. It's all about money. But there are other occasions where it's about what they call equitable remedies. And the simplest example is you got a neighbor who builds a fence that is on your property line. You don't just want to be paid for that incursion into your property. You want an order that the neighbor has to tear down the fence, telling someone to do something. And that's part of what is contained in the amended complaint that was filed by Brian Flores and the other two individuals, a request that the NFL make changes to the way that it do business when it comes to hiring coaches, including an independent monitor who is responsible for making sure that the teams truly are complying with the letter and the spirit of the Rooney rule and other provisions that would dictate the things that can and can't be done during a hiring process. But also, Shireen, yes, the publicity that comes from the litigation, the documents that get filed, the testimony that happens in, you know, we, we've caught wind of some of the excerpts of the Deshaun Watson depositions. That's available to the public because that case isn't in a secret arbitration process. The secret arbitration process makes it virtually impossible to get any of the information. Remember when Colin Kaepernick had his arbitration pending against the NFL? It was almost impossible to get any of it. There had to have been some incredibly valuable deposition testimony in the Colin Kaepernick arbitration proceeding. But that was all under lock and key. It was all secret. It was all and, and it was all wiped out as part of the settlement. So you eliminate the opportunity for the media and for the public to see what the NFL did, to see what the claims are and to hold the NFL accountable that way, which is another reason for the NFL to try to divert this claim to a secret rigged kangaroo court. And again, I'm going to keep using that term and go ahead. Complain, NFL. I don't give a crap. It's a secret rigged kangaroo court and they should be shamed by everyone in the media who understands it and i encourage everyone to read up on it read up on how arbitration cases work read up on how they prevent things from being brought to light and change to really happen i mean think about that and congress recently passed a law that sexual harassment and other sexual misconduct claims in the workplace cannot be the subject of arbitration clauses that are forced on employees that these things need to be played out in the light of day all discrimination cases need to play out in the light of day you don't affect change if everything is hidden if everything happens secretly and then at the end of the day if the ruling is sorry sorry as the commissioner of the nfl i find that the nfl did nothing wrong here. i mean what else do we expect the commissioner to do at the end of the day. So if I were him, I wouldn't even want to do it. I is a hot potato. I don't want to touch. Yeah. Or, or if I'm the designee, I don't want to touch it either. Um, so anyway, I, I doubt that the NFL is going to change course here because it'll blame it on the lawyers. The lawyers advised us to do it as if, as we talked earlier about Kyler Murray, the client eventually decides whether or not to take an offer. The NFL is the client in this lawsuit. The NFL can decide we don't want the secret rigged kangaroo court. We want it to play out in open court. We want a reckoning to occur in an independent setting where everyone can see where we need to change, including us. That's the problem. 
the ones who need to change the most, the ones who need to have the epiphany, the owners, are never going to have it if it all plays out in the secret-rigged kangaroo court of Roger Goodell. That's exactly right, Mike, and that's why it needs to be transparent. We need to know what happens, and we need to know publicly. And you talked about the arbitration clauses. Okay, so Flores obviously signed one with the Dolphins because it's it's in standard in these contracts, but he didn't sign one with the Giants. Ray Horton didn't sign one with the Titans. So how can the NFL force those sides of it into arbitration? How do they win this if you're the NFL? Well, well Unfortunately for Ray Horton, when he was under consideration to be the head coach of the Titans, he was employed by the Titans, so they will probably try to bootstrap the arbitration clause that was put into his defensive coordinator contract into this situation. And what we learned in the John Gruden case, what the NFL has done there, where John Gruden didn't sue the Raiders but sued the NFL, and John Gruden didn't have an arbitration clause with the NFL, the NFL is trying to argue that under the Constitution and bylaws, any type of conduct that would constitute behavior detrimental to the league, the commissioner has the prerogative to resolve the case in arbitration. It's just a weird, convoluted argument, but they are going to try. Look, this is their effort to pull the plug on the litigation machine before it starts running, and that's how you secure your best outcome. It's the cheapest way out, it's the simplest way out, and you don't have to deal with an open court proceeding that can just unfold in ways that you never imagined. So they're going to try. They're going to try because they'd love to get this entire case into arbitration, secret rig kangaroo court because it's a better outcome for them. But sometimes you got to step aside from the best possible legal outcome and ask, what's our best outcome for the good of the business, for the effort to try to convince people that we're really serious about change? That's the disconnect here. That's where the media has an obligation to make sure the fans understand what they're doing here, that when they say we really want to change, those words are lies if they refuse to let the court system be the vehicle for accountability because without accountability there is no change so i just hope that that everybody is willing to say exactly what this is i'm not hopeful but i'm going to say it loud enough for everybody until others start picking up on it because it's shameful that the nfl is doing this and i take nothing they say seriously about trying to change if they're not going to let this play out in open court as it should Yeah, Mike, they've got to let this play out in open court. Sometimes it's about doing the right thing. They've talked a lot. They've given a lot of lip service to the Rooney Rule. They've tried to tweak it. It hasn't worked. It's time for the NFL to do the right thing. And doing the right thing means going public with this because that is the only way, I think, that that real change is going to be made that we're going to see in the NFL. This isn't a surprise because this technique – meshes entirely with the first comment from the NFL when the Flores lawsuit was filed on February 1. The ink was still wet on the pages. The case is without merit. This is the knee-jerk, box-check, circle-the-wagons crap that lawyers who get paid five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars an hour that work for these white shoe firms always do. You circle the wagons, you fight, 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 And it's never about doing anything different than that. There's a formula, there's a playbook, and they follow it to the letter. And this is part of it. Job number one, let's get these claims in arbitration because we're far more likely to win the case for our client if they're in arbitration. Well, this may be one where they win the battle and they lose the war, the broader war to convince people that they mean what they say when they say they're trying to change because this is the kind of thing that makes me say that, my friends, is a bald-faced lie. Let's take a break. Stephen Jones has a message for those who may want to criticize the Dallas Cowboys' tumultuous offseason. We'll discuss that when PFTPM continues right after this. How, how much are you maybe on social media, or how much are you in tune with the perception of Cowboys fans when it comes to the offseason, because as I'm sure you can probably guess, this has been a frustrating offseason for a lot of Cowboys fans, myself included. Well, I don't think you ever win the Super Bowl in the offseason. 
Uh, I think it's a full body of work, what you put together over time, and uh, I certainly appreciate that. I mean, uh, the biggest thing of all is, uh, you know, is it's been a long time since uh, we have won a championship, and no one appreciates that more than myself, than Jerry, uh, than the people in this organization that we, you know, you, you've got to get over the hump. At the same time, we didn't last year with that uh, same group of players, and you know, sometimes uh, you let a player move on and it allows other players to step up uh, in even a bigger role. It hasn't just been a long time since they've won a championship. It has been a lifetime since they yeah. played in the game that determines who plays for the championship. That really is amazing to me. I've said this before. If I had been told after Super Bowl 30, and we had just found out the week before that that my wife was pregnant, my son's now 25 years old. If I had been told after Super Bowl 30 that the Cowboys would not even make it back to an NFC championship game in 25 years, I, I would have bet, and I didn't have much then, I would have bet everything I had, and I would have gone out and borrowed stuff yeah. to bet that they're getting back to the NFC Championship game at some point in the next 25 years. It really is stunning. And it sets Stephen Jones up for all sorts of jokes when he says you don't win the Super Bowl in the offseason because the response is, well, you don't win at any time in the past 25 years if you're the Cowboys. <laughs> That's exactly right, Mike. I will say this. That may be true. You don't win it in the offseason. The Rams made all those moves last year. They made two moves during the season that helped them win the Super Bowl. That was signing Odell Beckham, and that was trading for Von Miller. So, so maybe he has a point there. But I would argue that you can lose the Super Bowl in the offseason if you don't draft well, if you lose a ton of free agents. And that's what the Cowboys have done. I just don't know that you can lose Randy Gregory, Amari Cooper, Lyle Collins, Connor Williams, all those guys, and sign the few guys that they did. I know they've drafted really well. I know at this point last year, we didn't know Micah Parsons was going to be Micah Parsons, and he's really, really good. I get that. And, and so I, I do think they will draft well again, and they'll bring in some guys who are really good. But I just don't know that you could lose all the people they have lost and say the Cowboys are better, the Cowboys are a Super Bowl contender. I don't see it. I, I, right now, I don't see it. I would not even in the weak NFC put them in that conversation as an NFC contender. NFC East, yes. NFC, no. And I really think that's the best way to put it. You don't win the Super Bowl in the offseason, but you can make it much harder to even have a chance to compete for a Super Bowl appearance in the offseason. We know which teams are trying to get better. We know which teams are getting worse. And in the NFC, where... There's definitely a vacuum of great teams, and we've seen great players make that jump from the NFC to the AFC. There's an opportunity. It just doesn't feel like the Cowboys are building on that opportunity and putting together the kind of team that would be in the same breath as the Buccaneers and the Rams, the two teams that I see as the best in the conference. Now, a lot can happen, and injuries will happen, et cetera, et cetera, but, but you make it harder on yourself. And you put yourself at the mercy of chance and fate. And maybe we'll get some good calls. And maybe we'll get some lucky bounces. And maybe we'll get some weather that's advantageous to us. And a gust of wind at the right time. You don't want to bank on all that stuff. You want to have a team that you've put together that's going to go in and going to kick ass no matter what. And they clearly aren't one of those teams. And they're going to need a lot of luck to make things happen this year. A team that's going to need more than a lot of luck to make things happen this year. The Detroit Lions. Their quarterback, Jared Goff, spoke today about... This nagging question of whether or not the Lions are really all in with him. We'll discuss that when PFTPM continues right after this. No, um, you know, whatever it is, I trust those guys. You know, I, they've, they've expressed a lot of confidence in me and um, feel good about where I'm at and where I'm at with them and um, where we're headed. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. But um, if anything were to happen there, no, no concern and trust those guys upstairs. You would enjoy that. Do you think you would enjoy a mentorship role at, at any level? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I think. I think. Yeah. Maybe. I mean. I've always liked helping younger guys. I don't know. I mean. I have no idea. I've never been in that position. But um, I don't know. It, I'm, I'm sure I would be the same guy I am and be helpful if I if I felt like it. <laughs> if I felt like it. Oh, if I felt like it. He's never been in that position. Look, this is a guy who was the first overall pick 
six years ago. I remember the day the Rams traded up, and it wasn't clear who they were going to take, Jared Goff or Carson Wentz. Initially, someone was reporting they traded up to number one in 2016 to take Carson Wentz. It just tells you how quickly the world changes in the NFL. And now Goff, I think, barely hanging on in Detroit. Look, one of the things, and i got to give the Rams credit for pulling this off. When they did the trade last year for Matthew Stafford, and they gave up two ones and a three, and Jared Goff. It was never widely acknowledged that the Rams were giving up a first-round pick to get rid of Goff. It was the Brock Osweiler deal, but it was subsumed in the broader transaction that there wasn't that, that widespread realization that the Rams had to shed a first-round pick in order to dump the Jared Goff contract. So enter the Lions who take him on and basically have to keep him for two years understanding he's not a franchise quarterback. But you know what? We wanted the first-round pick. We need to have someone to take the snaps. We need to put a quarterback out there on the field. This guy's got name recognition. Let's see what happens for the first couple of years. But after this year, there's no requirement to keep him. And I think they are looking. They brought in Kenny Pickett. I still am trying to speak Baker Mayfield to the Lions into existence. I know for some reason a lot of Lions fans are, are not on board with that, and I ask why. Uh, all due respect to Jared Goff, he's had his chance. He's gotten paid. He's not the guy. And it's just a matter of time, in my view, before he's no longer the guy in Detroit. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis. They coached him in the Senior Bowl, and they brought him in as well, Mike. And so there is interest in quarterbacks for them in this draft. Now, they have the second pick, and they have the 32nd pick. I don't think they used that second pick on a quarterback. They've talked about getting a game changer. That quarterback's not going to be the game changer for them this season. So I think they draft one of those defensive uh, ends, one of those pass rushers, and then maybe come back to the quarterback with the 32nd overall pick, or maybe they trade up to get one. I do expect them to end up with the quarterback out of this draft. The last time they did that was 2017. Here's the other thing to remember, too. With that 32nd pick, that is a very desirable spot for someone to trade in and take a quarterback. We've seen it happen before. It happened with Lamar Jackson four years ago. It happened with Teddy Bridgewater in 2014. So if you're the Lions and you want to have a meaningful negotiation with a team that wants to come in and get that 32nd pick, well, they know all about Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett if that's the guy who happens to be there and someone wants to make that trade. So so that's one of the reasons why teams will do a full workup on a guy. So if they do get trade interest, because you're not trading for a spot on the depth uh, or on the draft chart, you're trading for a player at that point. So you need to know about that player. So that's a possibility as well. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And they're going to come out of this draft better. And I like what the moves they made last season. I think they're building towards something, but they're still going to need that franchise quarterback, Mike, and they don't have that right now. They have a good fill-in, and Jared Goff's better than probably half the guys in this league, but they don't have the franchise guy they're going to build with eventually. Baker Mayfield. Lions, if you get Baker Mayfield, I will be the first in line to buy the Lions Baker Mayfield jersey, and I will proudly wear it on an edition of PFTPM. Go get Baker Mayfield. We got to go. See you tomorrow morning. Thanks for some of your time.